just up top, I think this would be the perfect podcast to plug a book that I think everybody should read. I think it should be in the Australian curriculum. I think it should be like legally mandated that everyone in Australia, at least, should read this book and potentially people overseas as well. Um, but if you haven't read Dark Emu by Bruce Pascoe, I really recommend it because it puts it into context that ancient Egypt happened only 5,000 years ago and it's taught in history books across the world. Indigenous Australians have been around for over 80,000 years and we just never learn anything about them, let alone from their perspective. It's all colonial-based history or history taken from colonial perspectives. And reading this book, you really get an insight for the sophistication of the agricultural, aquaculture systems, the housing and how sophisticated their um, architecture was, and more about the laws and culture and how peaceful they were as a society and still are because they're still living today alongside of us and I just have been so mad that um, our indigenous culture hasn't been as respected and widely appreciated as it should have compared to our knowledge of the Greeks and Romans and other societies from across the world. So even if you do live outside of Australia, I really recommend Dark Emu by Bruce Pascoe because I just think it will change the game for a lot of people, especially Indigenous Australians who are still living today and how they're respected and treated amongst our society um, if people are just a bit more understanding and empathetic about how incredible their society is and how amazing their culture is and we have so much to learn from them so I thought this would be a great podcast to kind of give Doug Emu a shout out in but yeah I definitely recommend that book um, but without further ado let's get into learning a bit more about our conservationists. Hello and welcome to the How to Conserve Conservationist podcast, season two, all about you. My name is Jesse. My name is Todd. Yay, and we're here together. <laughs> um, today we're talking about episode five, which is access to conservation. And full disclosure, we did try and record this podcast before with two different blogs, but there was a blog about um, access to conservation and discrimination uh, in terms of race in America and another one about a Costa Rican biologist who was talking about how Westerners come and take all the jobs and it turned out like even though I thought these were both encompassed by access to conservation there's two very distinct conversations to be had about each and after listening back to the podcast it just seemed a bit disjointed and I feel like we didn't give adequate time to each of those topics so I think we'll come back to um, Westerners coming and stealing jobs a bit later. We might chuck in an extra um, episode at the end. But today we're just going to be talking about what happens when you're the wrong race or culture for what's socially tolerated in an area, I guess. Like um, how your access can be restricted to an area by the colour of your skin or who you are as a person. So yeah. Um, I think I just want to talk about up top that I have been really ex experiencing how people react to um, cultural acceptance. So to give you a bit of context, in Australia, the Black Lives, Movement, uh, Black Lives Matter movement focuses heavily around our First Nations people who are the most incarcerated people out of anybody on the planet. Well, it was an American movement, but 
it inspired conversations in Australia about Irene. Yeah, so when people problems. say Black Lives Matter here, they're talking about the First Nations people. And understandably, in America, there is a divide in the movements between Black Lives Matter for black people, and then also there's a different conversation and a different, I guess, movement to be had for the Indigenous people. But in Australia, our black people are our Indigenous people, so I think there's a bit of a disconnect between the Black Lives Movement in America and in Australia. And I only say this because, so I have been making, over the past couple of years, I've been making a really strong effort to reduce colonialism in my Instagram posts. And when I um, post birds every day on my uh, personal account, I use a lot of local languages. So if I can't find the local First Nations language for the country that I'm on at the moment, I'll find um, anyone that I can find. Because basically it is a spoken language. So with the stolen generation and cultures being wiped out and languages lost, um, it's really hard to actually locate and find the languages for the local birds. So just in learning that has been really eye-opening. But the other day, uh, I keep getting all these uh, messages from people like, just use the English language, it's like the most common language, or use um, the scientific Latin, because, you know, that's global. But when yeah. people say that, it's really missing the point. <laughs> yeah, it's still the white people name for it. And like, when you first told me you were going to switch to indigenous names, I thought that's a pretty bold step. Because if you say, here's a picture, not of a pigeon that everyone knows, but like, I don't know what the word is. Like, there's, I'm <laughs> showing the reason you're doing if it If it's right an now. introduced pigeon, it's probably still, like, spotted doves are still spotted doves because they're not local to Australia. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, something like, this example was give, New, New England, New Holland honey eater. Yeah. Doesn't live in New Holland, doesn't eat honey. Is a stupid name to begin with. Well... Just call it what it used to be called for tens of thousands of years. I think it shows the kind of colonialism because Australia used to be called New Holland. Like when the... It's, it's very <laughs> baked in colonialism name. Yeah, so when um, we first got colonised as a country... Uh, it by was, the Dutch. Yeah, by the Dutch. It was called New Holland. So I guess the names kind of show the colonialism really strongly. And also... Our magpies, our robins aren't really magpies or robins, like because they were named after the English birds. So our birds are really festering with colonialism to the point <laughs> where it removes the identity of the bird and the properties of the bird that you can derive from the name. Like our magpies aren't corvid birds, like the magpies basically anywhere else in the world. So I've made this strong effort to start reducing my colonialism with my bird names, but the the backlash I get from people, and I swear they're not people from Australia, and I don't know how that's received or the purpose behind that. I think they're mostly Americans, but um, just being honest... There's a lot of Americans on the internet in general. Yeah, Um I keep getting backlash where they keep fighting with me and fighting with me and no amount of education is instilling the importance of using local names. And I guess the example that I give is if you go to New Zealand, everybody uses the Maori names for the birds. Like hmm. if white people come, tourists come, anybody come, everyone uses the Maori names. So how is that any different from using the local First Nations names in Australia? Um, but basically I'm sharing this with you all because I think 
Before I made an effort to be an ally, I didn't understand the scope of the problem to its fullest extent. By now using the local names, I can see, oh shit, it's really hard to find local names because culturally the languages have been wiped out because they're not written languages, they're spoken languages. Yeah, you experience firsthand how much... Yeah, the culture's been destroyed. Yeah, so that's the first part of it. But the second part is people's hostility when it comes to learning new names, even when English people frequently use names like Tchaikovsky and, like, weird names like that. Like, people will say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious and be fine with it, but if they have to say banar, which is the local name of one of the ducks... That's apparently too hard. But they're like, oh, how do you really pronounce that? Yeah, That's impossible. Like for, our, for instance, our magpies, uh, the local name in the Wurundjeri language is Barawan, and apparently that's just too hard to learn compared <laughs> to something like, I don't know, what's it? Like, my last name's Panazolu, and I think that's harder to learn <laughs> than that name. Um, but anyway, I just, I think um, with the whole Black Lives Matter resurgence last year and people like getting more into how they can be allies and everything, I think it, th- doing this really hit home to me that a lot of Westerners or white people don't understand the constant uh, like battle that it is to just fight yourself yeah to fight for like your culture or who you were born as as a person until you actually start making proper steps to changing your behavior educating yourself and being an ally then you start facing backlash from a lot of like white supremacist and kind of racist people when you start doing that i guess another thing i'd point out as a disclaimer is because we've both seen like on people talking about Australian issues on the internet, mm-hmm. you have a lot of like Americans and non-Australians stepping into the conversation, but a bit blindly, and they say like what sound very silly things and very like out of context things of like they put their own lens on the situation, which we probably will end up doing for these American examples. Yeah, I both get- our blogs are from America, so we're going to look at it from our Australian lens. Yeah, it's a so bit There's, like, very complicated <laughs> social issues. So if we say the wrong thing or don't quite misunderstand something, it's probably because we're idiots and don't live there. Yeah, so that's an important note. We're coming at this uh, looking at just American blogs, but that's because, honestly, we haven't got any other blogs from Indigenous uh, Australians or people experiencing racism outside of America. We just don't have that content. Secondly, we're Australians, so the Black Lives Matter movement here is very different to in America, and after learning more about what's happening in America, I can kind of understand why it's so distinct, because like the shit that goes on in America is just far beyond what I can comprehend here <laughs> in a country where there's no guns and like it's just very, very different. And this, the third point to note is that we're a global community. So although these blogs are based in America, we want to help um, talk about, I guess, racism and access to lands, public lands, uh, in a way that you can, uh, that may apply to you or that you can understand or resonate with wherever you are in the world. So yeah. hopefully that kind of sets the context. Um, I know it's weird that two white people are going to be having a conversation about racism and access to public lands, but the thing is that one of the biggest things that came out of the Black Lives Matter resurgence last year was that people. Uh, who are people of colour have fatigue from always having to explain what's happening to them and the truth is that victims should never have to explain 
their pain to the perpetrators. They should never have to educate the perpetrators, basically. Um, but with that, we are very thankful that we get to read the blogs of Sebastian and James um, and that they've been kind enough and brave enough and open enough with us to let us learn from their uh, lives and stories. Because as an Australian, I never would have understood what's going on to this personal extent unless I'd read their stories. Okay, so to start with James's blog, um, he actually submitted his blog during that blackout week, the height of the resurgence of Black Lives Matter last year. So I thought it was very... Um, it was very topical at the time. It's very topical. Uh, Lonely conservationists voted that they didn't want to hear from any conservationist that week unless it was someone who was um, a person of colour and especially from America. And I think this is also... I know it was like basically consuming the media at that time, but from somebody outside of America, it was just very interesting to see how that kind of dominated the media because I understand like the we have more American lonely conservationists than anybody else yeah. apparently we have a higher percentage of Australians according to like uh, per capita or whatever but there is a lot of Americans in the community so it was just interesting to see how an issue so targeted towards one nation was kind of like people didn't want to hear anything else which yeah. is uh, is understandable when you're in the midst of it and there's there's houses burning down and there's like the KKK on people's doorsteps and all the crazy stuff we heard but from somebody who wasn't there personally it was just very interesting to see how people kind of engulf this at the moment as their whole lives it's yeah it took up more people's uh thoughts than like protests in the philippines or in hong kong or something yeah sort of old news now yeah but what's what's interesting is like from somebody that wasn't there i really didn't want to trivialize what was happening and it was really important to me not to have like a herd mentality and to jump on this just because it was trendy because for me it's not a trend at all to have people um just yeah well You don't want to be like, oh, I think differently than everyone else. You don't want to be like the uh, the devil's advocate all the time. But you also, you, you look at like, you know, a big brand and have, making like a 30 second ad of like, yeah, we care about race. Well, it's like... And it seems so fake and tokenistic. Yeah. So if you just like do one blog post or like one tweet or Instagram post yeah. about it, like, yeah, we agree with this in case you didn't know. It seems very throwaway. <laughs> what I really love is that it seems like dumb on one hand that people have only started this behavior since then but also it's good to see that it wasn't tokenistic when they're like okay i need to educate myself i need to be better i've seen a lot of people in youtube channels i watch crediting uh any like um, behavior or cultural um like things that they have started to do that they recognize have black origins so for instance um there was one youtuber that i watched that was talking about her journey and maintaining her curly hair and she started using a silk hair wrap and she acknowledged that the origins of that were from um, black women conserving their hairstyles and this was like something that had a lot of history it wasn't just a trend and i really thought that that was great that she's continued to buy from black businesses and showcase showcase black businesses and to reference um when something is like culturally attributed to a uh, black culture 
I just thought like it's kind of like two minds where it's like what why wasn't this always this way but mm. also like it's good that it wasn't just tokenistic and that they have carried on that behavior yeah a small part of me sees like I guess in Australia the less uh media attention this gets and it's a bit like oh well now Biden's the president racism is fixed <laughs> so don't worry about all these issues that were yeah, <laughs> coming it, up previously. It's just so interesting seeing this all from an outsider lens. But even so, I was listening to a podcast last night about uh, the COVID vaccines, and they were talking about how a lot of black people distrust vaccines because of a polio vaccine. I think it was polio that um, basically the people in question were told Basically, they only use people of color and they told them it was going to be like a 35 year study to monitor the impacts of polio. Um, and then they, they were going to get all the health care and everything they needed afterwards to get better. But then it turned out that they just didn't give them the health care and they wanted to watch them die off because they wanted to watch the study. Like they wanted to see how this disease would impact them long term. But that's not what they signed up for. They just up straight for. up gave them polio yeah. instead of the vaccine. Well, I, I'm, I'm not sure about the specifics of the study, um, but I was just blown away that this was able to happen. And I can totally understand, like, it's often that people just say anti-vaxxers or whatever. But if you have a deep-seated cultural history of being told you're going to get, um, like, birth control help, but they end up sterilizing you or they end up, like, saying, yeah, like, I'll give you some money to be a part of this test, but then you end up getting long-term, Ill- like, a long-term illness that eventually causes death... Um, there's is understandable why you wouldn't trust new modern medicine when there's been a history of people being totally exploited by the medical industry. Are you telling me that, that there's legitimate reasons to be anti-vax? Well, I'm just saying that like there's so much cultural suppression and really horrible things that have like impacted people throughout every industry. We can't just say like, oh blanket statement you're a bad person because you're not getting vaccinated and blah 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 because then i looked up if this happened with indigenous australians and it turned out basically the same thing indigenous um children in care facilities quote-unquote care facilities were being used as basically guinea pigs to trial drugs on and because they were separated from their families during the um the most vulnerable of the vulnerable yeah the uh, stolen generation. The stolen generation. They were separated from their families and they were basically just like a lot of kids with nobody to look after them properly and they were just taken blatant advantage of. So I think it's really important in every facet of life to kind of understand how things that we might take for granted, like, oh, let's just go get a vaccine for something, how that there may be traumas associated with that just because of who they were born as. So I guess coming into this conversation... If I so like I, I found out about this about the Black Lives Movement, but then I looked up and it was happening in my own country as well. So I think this is not unique to America, and I think anywhere you are, where there's um, indigenous people, colonization, um, different ethnic groups, there is always going to be some kind of racial stereotyping or yeah. really horrible things happening. It's a it's a good excuse to start a conversation and start thinking about these things. Yeah, and it should never go out of trend or in trend it should always be because these are people's lives and people we care about people didn't ask to be born different so that's not a good enough reason for discrimination in fact if you're if you're a dickhead that's a better reason for discrimination (laughs) okay back to james's book (laughs) um so 
He is basically talking about what it is like um, to be uh, a black conservationist and the kind of fear that comes along with uh, going out in public and accessing public lands. Um, And he says that as a black man living and working in a predominantly white career field and often working in overwhelmingly white areas, He has long envied the sense of security and ease that his white colleagues must feel when they venture outdoors. And I think, again, as an Australian reading this, so guns have been banned in my lifetime. As a toddler, actually, I was in the Port Arthur massacre in Tasmania, where the last massacre that banned guns in Australia. So Led to the banning of guns. Yeah, so when I... Basically, I had no idea until I read the next blog, which will come too soon, um, that there was even a risk of getting shot from being outdoors. I had no idea that was even a risk because it's not a thing in my country. So it's horrifying to me to hear that about all the risks that black people face just by being in America, how it's like culturally set up to be a lot of like, I have the freedom to do this. Gun violence is my choice. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's just a bit confronting. It appears to be the attitude. Yeah. Um, So basically he goes on to say, Do you think my fears are unfounded? What if I told you that I've been personally threatened with firearms for trespassing even when I wasn't? Or if I was politely explaining my fieldwork that I was performing to a suspicious landowner who took a photo of me without asking when she suspected me of some sort of wrongdoing? Because both of these things have happened to me. And instead of letting myself be angry at them for their unkindness towards me, I instead have to be grateful that things didn't escalate further in each set in each situation and thankful that I still simply have my life and health. This is not to say that I've never had positive interactions with non-POCs while performing field work or recreating outdoors. Quite the opposite, I've had many, but there is no guarantee that I or any other POC won't be confronted with hostility or violence when we go outdoors. Understanding Understanding this fear is part of the reason why participation in outdoor recreation is dramatically lower amongst black people and other minorities than it is for white people. And I can believe that. Yeah, it's just crazy because it's true. Like, I face sexism in the field, but that's the extent. Like... I am never going to... small tier uh, <laughs> discrimination. But, like, I'm never going to be... Um, people are not going to be taking photos of me in the field or they're not going to be pointing guns at me. They're not going to be, like... Well, the clear example that <laughs> a lot of people probably seen is the, the lady that was walking a dog. Yeah. And the, in New York, I want to say, and the, yeah, black bird watcher was like, hey, lady, put your dog on a leash. It's going to kill all the birds. He's... This is a bird watcher thing, apparently. And it's like, I think it was mandated in that national park or wherever they were in that space that dog. It Central was like, park. It, yeah, that dogs have to be underneath. Okay, I'm so dumb, and maybe it's because I'm Australian, but obviously this did happen in Central Park, which is just an urban park in New York, New York City. But basically, Christian Cooper, who was the name of the birder, was telling the lady to leash her dog because dogs are not allowed to be off leash within Central Park. So. Yeah, um, I'm pretty uh, dumb in in this part, but uh, I'm going to blame my Australianness. Thank you, Sebastian, for clearing this up. <laughs> I could believe it being a rule. And she, yeah, but like you watch the video that he recorded and she's just like, 
It's, you could read her as like she was legitimately freaking out because she grabbed her dog by the leash. She actually and the got poor her dog, dog was like being choked and stuff. And she like, got her dog confiscated for she, that behavior. Yeah, yeah. Her dog was taken off of her because she was basically animal abusing her dog. For yeah, her she just grabbed it by the leash. It was a poor thing was yelping, and she just calls the police on him. Yeah, for saying, "Can you please put your dog on a leash?" <laughs> Can you please put your dog on a leash? Like, oh my god, <laughs> like. Damn. <laughs> yeah, it was really, really horrifying to watch. And, and that's just a inoffensive white lady. Like, if the police come and they're like, oh, what's going on, you know? We know the story of, like, people and police. It's yeah. an incredibly dangerous situation. Yeah, and that's why it was such a threat. Because there's such a instinctual level of racism that they know that police have it against black people, that calling the police means, like, end game for a new black person. Like, that. that's the kind of racism behind even using calling the police as a threat yeah so that was really horrible but also there's stories of people getting shot for doing nothing and like the same in australia there's a lot of stories of uh aboriginal people that are just incarcerated for literally zero reason they spend a lot of their lives in jail and then they're only released like 20 years later 50 years later when they're found innocent when like society very much changes <laughs> and then their lives are wasted and that's i guess if you're lucky that you don't just get shot on the spot so it's just very traumatic when you can just end yourself in or land yourself in situations that are completely like unreasonable don't correlate like you know when you're a kid and your punishment relates to the crime that you did but like you're not taught to expect a, a punishment that's like so unreasonable yeah i think it was um yeah because he uh james there mentioned getting like a gun pulled on him mm-hmm. just for like you know walking through a forest well i don't know where he's walking but some guy was like this is my land mm-hmm. pulls a gun on him and it's, it, it feels so american to me yeah it's just so and, um, the thing that makes me think of that is just if you go to the other side of the world to look at like some exotic animals, you, you might like at a practical sense, you're going to stick out. You're going to draw more attention to yourself, good or bad. Mm-hmm. And you might just have to deal with that because that comes with traveling. But the idea of you just walk in your own town, your, like own, your, own neighborhood. your own neighborhood, you go looking through the forests and people will treat you with such disdain that they pull a gun in you and demand you leave. That is crazy to me. Yeah. Where's that neighborly love? You know? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, James talks about people coming up to him and wanting to have a conversation about uh, Black Lives Matter and racism in America and thinking that a conversation will fix the problem. But he highlights that it's really, really important to note that like nothing can really change without systemic change, legislative change. And I think... That's why people are so adamant about voting in America. Because in Australia here, it's compulsory to vote. We have to vote, otherwise we get a fine. Um, but in America, I don't think it's not compulsory to vote. Um, so they only have like a third of people vote. And the like voting system wise. is really messed up as there's, well. There's a lot of questions that <laughs> a lot of people have. Yeah. So Apart from... Uh, claims that it was rigged yeah. last election. Um, and when I was having a chat with Sebastian last year uh, when we talked about access and race and conservation for a lonely, conver- lonely conversationist chat, very confusing, 
anyway, he said the best thing you can do is vote and to help get people in power that can help change some of these laws and make the spaces safer for people. And I, I feel like it must be so disheartening for people at an individual level to not feel like anything they can do can make a difference. Like if you are black and you feel like you have no freedoms because you're at the mercy of society and if you're white feeling like you're responsible for like I don't know a lifetime of injustice that your ancestors inflicted like from both sides I guess you can feel really powerless in this issue but when you have the opportunity to vote for state government for local councils for like federally it's really important that you make the efforts to go and instill changes and also it's just easy to be a better person and to just try and acknowledge any ingrained racism that you may have just because of growing up in a society that just has all these like microaggressions just instilled in it. It's really important to take the time to notice those microaggressions and to make conscious behavioral effort to change your behavior. So I think that's where it changes the most. Like if you, in your workplace, mm-hmm. maybe it's a police station, if you know you catch your coworkers saying racist things, doing racist things, and it's very tempting to like you want to get along with everyone, and because you're not the target of it, mm-hmm. it like it's very tempting to like just go go with the flow, but like point is like saying, well, hold up, yeah, <laughs> don't say that, like. But this was like in your old workplace yeah. when you were like basically doing this for sexism when they would be like, oh, I'm not going to It propose. was like much like, <laughs> small, small fry. Like, I'm not going to propose to my girlfriend unless she loses weight and you're like, hold up, that's a bit unreasonable. Like, <laughs> but like yeah. you could be seen in that social circle of men. You could be seen as like, oh, Todd the pansy. Like, I don't know. You could be you could be demoted on the social rungs because you stand up for women. It's the kind of the same that in like a, in a workplace or in a family or something, you may feel as if you'd be demoted down the social rungs or causing conflict to actually stand up for issues that you see arise. Yeah. But like end of the day, if your coworkers or distant relatives think less of you, because you disagree with them on these things, like, I don't know, fuck them. Yeah. (laughs) Who cares? But also like now, Back to the story about how I was saying that um, people were contesting me about using indigenous names. Now I feel I understand when it's really hard to communicate with people when you know that nothing I can say, no amount of history, education, reasoning will change their minds. And that's, I guess, the challenging thing is if someone is racist for the for the sake of being racist or they have views, like, just say you love Trump because you're in a Trump cult and there's no logical <laughs> reason why you should like Trump. You just do. That is most Trump supporters. Like, herd mentality. Like, there's no way of kind of educating them. And I guess you could feel stuck, especially when Trump was in power and it feels like the majority have these views. Like, how can you fight for your rights when people, like, that you can't fight... Um, an unarmed man in a battle of wits kind of thing (laughs) like they're too stupid or they're too unwilling or ignorant to even engage in a proper reasonable conversation yeah i guess a lot of it's just waiting for them to die (laughs) how we solve problems just wait for people to die to wait for the old racist people to move on but i guess that's a problem like in australia a lot of the racism it comes from older generations and we can tell that because so a lot of our young generation are fighting against australia day because that's when we were invaded so it's nothing really to celebrate 
is like basically colonization day, invasion day. Basically, everyone in Australia is like, let's put an end to this. Let's stop celebrating this day, except for all the old people who are like, we're used to having Australia Day. Like, and they're the I, ones. I don't that know if it's old people. It. I think Australia, the, <laughs> there's a lot of young people who like, they just, I feel like a lot of the young people who say, what's the big deal is their main critique of change the date movement. Mm-hmm. And that's just like you know, a lack of education and being told what happened. But I think, like, now there's been such a conversation this year. Invasion Day this year had such a big conversation around it. Even, like, a national radio station moved there, like... Because, basically, in the past, every Australia Day, Invasion Day, there would be the hottest 100 for this um, big radio station, and everyone would get together and party and listen to the top 100 songs. And because those events were so closely intertwined, it's like that's all anybody did on Australia Day. They moved that countdown to a totally different day to kind of stop people from partying on invasion day um so but it's interesting now because like the abc yeah but then you have like another radio station have their own competing uh, yeah, just trying event to fill on australia niche. day to fill that gap now there, there was that people would do it as like just to be spiteful i guess there was an independent um so our independent news corp, I guess, I don't know how independent news they really corp. are. Our independent news people, um, the ABC published an article with the title of Invasion Day and they kind of got bullied out by the other, like they obviously had words spoken to them and then the article had the name changed by halfway through the day. So it's like there's a lot of media pressure and pressure from uh, high people in power to keep Australia Day as Australia Day when a lot of the public are really fighting for it to be like, this is Invasion Day, this has a lot of deep-seated trauma for a lot of people, we shouldn't be celebrating it. Yeah. Even then, it's like, it just feels so tokenistic. Mm. If you do change the date, and there's still majority of people in prison are First Nations people. Yeah. Like are you really fixing anything and also like yesterday was the two-year anniversary of sorry day so basically two years ago it couldn't have been two years ago it was kevin rudd it was an anniversary it wasn't two years ago but an old prime minister said uh basically apologized for the stolen generation and he said sorry and now still uh indigenous people in australia have the highest rated um children taken away from their family still like it's still basically happening i guess not to the extent that it was but nothing's really changed and so people are like what's the point of saying sorry like saying sorry usually means you're remorseful and that you're going to do something to fix it but i guess the problem is as well is that government changes and like kevin rudd who apologized is not in power anymore so it kind of his apology I don't know, it's like, it should be the responsibility of every Prime Minister following that to kind of carry that apology on and to keep making efforts to support Indigenous people, but it's just not been the case. Did he not do anything on, like, the anniversary of the day to, like... Well, I just saw... It feels so easy, just give a speech about it and just, like, use words, nice words... And that's all you have to do. Yeah, I just... And you can't even be bothered doing that. I just saw some posts um, that said, like, it's been however many years since Sorry Day and still children are being taken away from their families. Still there's injustices and, like, um, there's not equal amounts of access to healthcare and education and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's, it is a problem with who's in power, which, go, going back to the voting thing, 
I think it is more important even in subtle ways than you think whoever's in power like our current prime minister doesn't really care about anything he's like yeah all for Australia Day let's watch the cricket and party and drink beer so yeah um he going back to James he basically says that um also if people say well if you don't like being harassed or like your life being in, in danger just don't even go into public lands that's do people what, tell him that well that's what he writes here he stresses that he does have a right to work and dwell in natural spaces as much as anyone um so the attitude if you don't like it then leave seems a little unfair so i can't believe it is incredibly unfair i can't believe people even say that i'm so sorry james on behalf of such a non-starter argument oh it's horrific and because like public lands are public lands yeah <laughs> like anyone should have access to them and it's like t- it's not taking responsibility if you're like oh if you don't want to get a gun pointed at you then just don't go out it's like i'm not going to change my behavior so you have to change your behavior yeah it's like well just deal with the racism not my problem not my i don't have to deal with it so it's so entitled so basically this is something that happened that's not to do with racism but it kind of highlights this point so at the start of covid here in australia um there was these protests like anti-lockdown protests this woman was organizing the protest on facebook which so that is against the law they made all these new laws for covid to save so they said lockdown. Yeah. You're not allowed to have large gatherings of people. Yeah. That was like the rule of the lockdown. Yeah. And this lady goes on Facebook and like makes an event and invites hundreds of people to yeah. go to this one spot to protest the lockdown. Yeah. Which is a bit circular logic, but... So our lockdowns are very strict. Like uh, last year, Melbourne had over 200 days of lockdown. We were only allowed five kilometers outside of our house outside of our home we're only allowed out for like um essential reasons like going to the supermarket healthcare, one hour of exercise like very very strict she organized this protest and then police came knocking at her door and was like hey uh we you're under arrest because you organized a gathering of more than like well it didn't matter it was you're only allowed out by yourself to do one hour of exercise more than her was illegal basically (laughs) and whoever you lived with in the house um so they put her in handcuffs and instead of fighting for her right to protest she basically just burst into tears and pleaded to be released i'm pregnant i have an ultrasound tomorrow blah 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 blah. she's like i'm sorry i'm sorry i'll take it down yeah which shows that people all talk so she was like (laughs) i'm so powerful screw this lockdown i'm gonna like break the rules defy everything get everyone to like go out here and protest until the police knock on her door and all of a sudden she can't handle it she's crying she's not even fighting for the same thing that she was fighting for before and that's kind which of which shows how not important it was to her. Yeah, which is kind of like racism, I imagine. Would you like? Well, like if if these people who are so entitled and were like, oh, if you don't like it, don't use the space. If they were treated how James was treated, then they would quickly change their tune. Yeah, I imagine. you're saying like it. It just shows how much they don't understand. Yeah, like they don't sympathize. People are all talk because they don't think they will ever feel the ramifications of the behavior they're inflicting. They feel like I'm above it, I'm beyond it, it's never going to happen to me, so I can talk shit all I want, I can make people's lives hard all I want, I'm always going to be fine. It was a weird 
example to what, give for what this concept. For me, it kind of like hammered home that people say whatever they want on social media when they're behind a screen, blah, blah. But when it comes to it, they, they're they like cowering in their boots. So It was enjoyable to watch. It just, There's a video of it. It just really makes me think about how like people who are acting tough, if the tables were tabled, I don't think <laughs> I don't think they would be able to handle it. The turntables. So, um, then we'll go into Sebastian's blog. So, Sebastian's blog, I so it came out the first year of Lonely Conservationist in 2019. And when I read it, it changed my life because I didn't even know this was possible. Like, I had never heard of anything bad happening to anyone while they're out birding before in my life. And this shows how, like, I guess, sheltered I am in Australia in a country with no guns and in such, like, a, a white, privileged environment where I just didn't even conceive what happened to Sebastian to be a thing that was in the realm of possibility. <laughs> so um, since then, I've got to know Sebastian a bit more, and he's, like, a really excellent science communicator, really amazing, um, amazing falconer. He has a little kestrel. Um, and he's just a really, really incredible member of the community, so his blog kind of opened my eyes to how much you have to go through just day to day to be a conservationist sometimes. So basically, he gives some background that he was, uh, he just moved to the city of St. Louis in Missouri. Okay, so basically, much to Sebastian's dismay, I butchered this whole entire part about the history of St. Louis. Um, so he has kindly enough filled this in, so you don't have to listen to how much I butchered it. But um, he says that he worked in St. Louis, he never lived there, but St. St. Louis City was succeeded from St. Louis County due to the city folk being fed up about uh, paying the taxes that accommodated the suburb folk and vice versa. It was literally all about taxes. He says also, welcome to America. We hate paying for things that help other people. Heaven forbid. Um, but then he says that this is the important part and he may not have uh, had it as clear in his blog. But basically, because the city split from the county, the city has fixed city boundaries. This is important because the city, like other cities in the US who have fixed boundaries, cannot shrink or grow to accommodate their population. St. Louis has lost 60% of their population since it peaked in the 1950s. When cities have a change in population, they can change their city boundary lines to help with taxes, city costs, etc. Because they are fixed, they are stuck with all this vacant land and the costs that come with it. The fixed boundaries don't have to do with the vacant lots. The vacant lots are a side effect of the fixed boundaries, if that makes sense. So that's basically his um, explanation for why he was doing bird and vegetation research in fixed lots in St. Louis. So thank you so much, Sebastian, for clearing that up. And luckily for you guys, you don't have to hear about how we totally butchered that. Uh, back to the podcast. I, I don't know what happened, but like, there's, there's, there's a bit of a history to St. Louis that we're possibly not aware of, but it's led to um, like some, some real different uh, suburbs. Like a lot of racist and segregated suburbs, which... Like in Australia, there's not a lot of segregation. Like you have the there's low, some there's suburbs a, you don't want to walk there's into. There's the low socioeconomic suburbs that you're like, oh, it's a bit sketchy. But it's not like you know in South Africa how it's like this is the black side of the road and the yeah. white side of the road. Where I feel like in America that kind of still happens with like the ghetto areas and the like. I don't know the Ponzi private schools. I feel like there's still kind of that division. Yeah, I wonder on the scale from like South Africa to. 
I don't know, the most... A, a town in Sweden. <laughs> How uh, segregated are the suburbs? Yeah, because, like, sure, there are suburbs where here... Well, here it's is like, there's a lot of Sudanese populations that come under a lot of racist fire in Australia. Like, there's a lot of people who are really racist towards Sudanese populations. And I think it wasn't really in Adelaide, but since we moved to Melbourne and I've heard in Queensland as well, I've noticed that people kind of associate certain suburbs with where Sudanese populations live. Um, But here in Melbourne, I don't really see a lot of segregation like that happening. It's it's something Sebastian gets into. uh, So like, read his blog and I have words to say. (laughs) Okay. So basically some context of the blog is that he was doing research which involved identifying vegetation structures and counting birds in these lots. Um, in in vacant lots in, in St. Louis. In, yeah, with the fixed boundary. <laughs> um, he mostly did it alone. Uh, sometimes That he... would be fascinating to me of like, what is the bird nature life in like... The suburb. The, the, the cross between suburb and empty land. Yeah, well that's I guess why I was doing that's the research. That's why I was doing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he says sometimes he worked alone. Sometimes, like most of the time he worked alone. Sometimes there was other people accompanying him. Um, but because he is a person of colour from the city, I guess he thought, oh, like, I've probably experienced everything. Like, this will be fine. Yeah. So this all led to a situation where he's just walking down some okay. dodgy streets in St. Louis. Yeah. Counting birds. Okay. <laughs> With binoculars. <laughs> he said, day one of his research was a bit of a cultural shock for me. I have never seen firsthand the injustices occurring. I was in the middle of an area of high crime and neglect. During my time in the city, I stumbled upon lots of birds as well as dealers ranging from sex to weapons and everything in between, and plenty of crime scenes. Through the rest of the city, oh, though the rest of the city had forgotten about them and labelled their home a war zone, there were still plenty of residents who hoped for the best and wanted change. Summer of 2018, I was doing my bird counts, just a regular morning walking across the neighbourhoods with my binos and clipboard, oh, binoculars, sorry, that's very Australian. We call them binos. Binoculars and clipboard, (laughs) scribbling any bird I could identify. After two years of walking around the streets, I had developed a small reputation as Birdman. Most people knew that I wasn't a threat if they saw me walking down the streets. A kid comes out of his house and walks down the middle of the street with a roll of money in his hand. I don't know where he is going and I don't want to find out. Unfortunately, the path he was taking was the same path as my transect. To add to the series of unfortunate events, it looked like I'd been following him for the last 50 metres. One of us had noticed this, the other was too busy staring at birds. The kid turns around and lifts his t-shirt and on his waistband sits a gun. My mind goes blank. I just remember the high school. I just remember this high school's class of 2009 t-shirt and thinking, I'm going to get shot by a 17 year old who thinks I want to steal his money. When all I was trying to do is find out how many freaking birds are on the block. My mum always warned me that being outside could lead to my end. Had she been right? Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Well, obviously he wrote the blog, so he survived. He survived. (laughs) Um, But was greatly injured. He said he wasn't injured. (laughs) He said he got out of the situation by quickly explaining his research. Like, you have to basically have an elevator pitch in your head to be like, this is what I'm doing quickly. Understand. I'm I'm not here to follow you. I'm I'm just looking at birds. Um, So, yeah, that's crazy that that happened. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm an avid birder. I just really, like, it sat with me how if I go out looking at birds, this would never happen to me. You might accidentally spook some dealer with a gun 
who's been very sketchy because he has a wad of cash and knows the neighborhood he's walking in and is possibly more aware of the situation than you. Yeah. I guess, like, my personal safety is, like, there's a horrible stuff that happens to women at night here. I just never walk alone at night. But this is broad yeah. daylight during the day, and he's a man. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know that could be a problem. Yeah. Um, so it's crazy that his mum, like, had the kind of the foresight to be like, you could die, basically. You might not come home one day. Well, no, just... she she would always tell him, cause he would go wandering in the forest. Yeah. And she'll be like, don't go out too far. The bear will eat you. Like, it's dangerous. And then he's like... The bear is the people. The bear is the people. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, the dangers that his mum's warning him about is probably very different to the dangers that my mum's warning me about. Well, not bears. Just brown snakes. Just snakes. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, this story really sat with me. And I, so I really understand... Why people it it will be tiring and exhausting to talk about this. Like he went at home and cried and it was very emotionally overwhelming and I understand why it's hard to talk about this all the time and be like, I go out to do my study, I go out to look at birds, and I can almost die every single time. It must be like that's playing on your mind every single time you go out, that ex- like the kind of exhaustion and having to always be on your toes is tiring. Um And I kind of experienced this a bit in South Africa where the police are very corrupt and they will just chuck people in jail for like basically no reason. So every time I was walking around Africa, especially alone or especially at night, I would feel this like sense of exhaustion, like not exhaustion, but like I'm constantly having to be alert and aware. And I remember getting back on the plane and hitting the airport in Adelaide and breathing the first sigh of relief like I could finally relax again and it wasn't just a normal like oh I'm tired I'm having a nap like my whole body just relaxed in a state which like it hadn't been for three months while I was away so it's just kind of this um this tension and stress that you carry with you that is just ongoing every time you you want to do something relaxing like looking at birds it turns out to be something that you have to be very vigilant about yeah, which is, like, really tragic and ironic. Yeah, this is, like, honestly the tragedy. Like, I go out birdwatching for my meditation. That's kind of how I unwind, relax. And f- for people to not be able to do that as a relaxing activity, I, my heart goes out to you. Yeah, like, imagine if you are just, you know, zen in the zone, birdwatching, and suddenly someone comes up to you and is, like, points a gun at you, calls the cops on you, like that would be like almost a psychologically damaging trauma on its own yeah just the the shock and what james says is he said like oh i should be um i should be scared i should be like this should be the worst time of my life but all he can feel is relief that he got home safe like Mm. you can't help but feeling relief that you came out of that situation not like you if if it happens so much then there's only so much you can be like t- spending the time and energy to make a big deal out of it every time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This is like... He does end his blog on a positive note. Oh, of, like, Sebastian. Bumping yeah. into a eight-year-old who knew him as Birdman, got into birds himself, like would excitedly meet Sebastian and say, here's all the birds I found. Oh, what have you seen? Oh my god, you saw one of this. Like, yeah. You can imagine. And that really inspired Sebastian to really focus on getting children into wildlife and, and like, 
people who wouldn't usually access these natural spaces kind of inspiring them to get out there in nature because i guess like the more people who take up space the harder it will be for really horrible racist people to restrict <laughs> access like if you have like the majority of natural spaces being taken up by black people it's going to be harder for them to like <laughs> <laughs> well, just let's make bird watching a people of color activity well take it away there was um from all the white people there was during um the black lives matter resurgence last year there was a black birders week that was so popular yeah because especially cool. like that guy the bird watcher that had the incidents with the lady and the dog it, yeah, yeah like yeah. it just showed the need for people to be standing up for black birders and for um for like positive light to be shed on them because i know like it is really dangerous to bird in some areas my lecturer was telling me when i was in my undergrad that if you go to south america and some places where the drug cartel is high like breaking bad style <laughs> um this, this is our like not being american yeah view of america <laughs> it's just most, breaking bad mostly from tv and movies um but uh so people who are bird watching sometimes get shot because they get mistaken for spies looking out for drug dealers because they're hiding in the bushes with their binoculars yeah so it's really birding is a really dangerous activity in a lot of places because yeah. of the misinformation and discrimination i remember my dad used to be a private investigator and he was spying on this guy who lived on a farm and well you know He's white, and this was a while ago, so it wasn't race related or anything. But like, because he was actually spying on this guy, and this guy noticed him and came up to him and was like, "Hey, man, what are you doing on my property with like binoculars and like a lens camera?" And my dad's like, "Oh, I'm just, uh, I'm just a bird watcher. Yeah. Oh, look, I think there's a uh, fetid blue jay over there in the bushes." <laughs> Did you think you see one? You like didn't know anything about birds. Just There's making no blue up blue jays in yeah, Australia. <laughs> just making up bird names, just on the spot. <laughs> so, um, is it fair to say my dad single-handedly has destroyed the reputation of bird watchers? I think so. He was a very horrible man. And he what? Deserves that reputation. <laughs> but yeah, it's like it's really challenging, I guess. There's there's two elements here. There's the Australian element and the race element. We're, we're both white and very privileged, but also we're from a country where there's no gun violence. Or there is, but it's like illegal gun violence. There's no legal gun usage here unless you're yeah. shooting feral species and it has 10 different permits and well, it's highly regulated. <laughs> you can still just buy a gun, but like... You can't You can't it. walk around like cities with it. Yeah, there's no there's no signs on shops. If you, like, if you no can buy you can here. buy like a handgun, but you have to use it in a firing range. Yeah, and you can buy like a shotgun to kill rabbits in your farm. Yeah, and, like, everything's pests, heavily permitted like, and ma- mandated. Yeah, you have to do actual background checks. Like, and ev- it takes months. Yeah, even for paintball guns, you have to get a gun license for a paintball. Yeah, that gun. is that's where they go a bit far. Like paintball guns, they're technically shotguns in Australia. Yeah. So, I was trying. I was thinking of buying one. And then I look at the paperwork and it's like, oh, you have to do like months and months of background checks. You have to do like a gun safety course. Mm-hmm. And like all the gun safety courses, like make sure, you know, handle the gun correctly. And they make sure you know all this stuff before they ever begin to give you a gun license. Mm-hmm. But I was just imagining like, if I get it for a paintball gun, they'll be like, w- would you ever point to this? I'm like, yes, yes. I would. <laughs> Why are you buying this to shoot my friends with? It? 
<laughs> Why do you want a gun license? Yeah. Well, yeah. So that, I guess that's context of it. it's very different here from just that aspect alone, like without even the racism, but to add in like blatant racism on top of that blatant. is like horrifying to me. It's yeah, it's it's a really bad sounding mix of mm-hmm. elements. So this is why like I know it's not anyone's uh responsibility if you're a person of color in America to educate white people. It's not your responsibility at all. But I'm just very thankful that people like James and Sebastian have shared their stories because as somebody from a completely different country, I would have no idea that this was happening if I hadn't read their stories. And I'm so thankful they are personal stories because what you see on the media and you, you're trying to educate yourself with media articles is like horrifying. It, there's so much <laughs> like misinformation and like people's having ulterior motives or whatever. But having the opportunity to get a snapshot into the lives of James and Sebastian has been the most um, insightful thing. And you, you get that sense of empathy as well. You get... Yeah. Like, if you just read the statistics of like, oh, this many people get incarcerated yeah per year how terrible we're like oh I mean, whatever but if you like hear a personal story of like how they were treated yeah it's so much more impactful yeah so i just like to again thank sebastian and james for giving us this insight it wasn't your responsibility it wasn't anything you had to do but people like us ignorant australians are very <laughs> um thankful that you were able to give us this insight into what's going on over there because i think it's a lot of it can be sensationalized on the news and stuff as well. So just to have this very open conversation about it, it allows us to feel that empathy and to really understand like just the day-to-day um, effort and energy that you have to put in just to do your job. So I really, uh, it's, it's, I really, um, I empathize. I, I, I don't even know if I can empathize as a white person, but <laughs> I really... Um, Do you truly know what it's like? No, and I ca- I can. No, nah, but we can read about it. I can <laughs> never truly know what it's like, but I'm just um, I'm so sorry that you have to go through that. Just the way you were born is not fair, and I really hope that as society progresses, things only get better. And I guess Biden being in power is not a solution, but hopefully it's a step in the right direction. So. Okay. <laughs> Next section we always talk about is what can we do to help people who are experiencing restricted access to conservation? And I think, I guess, what we talked about before is voting. If you are in a country where it's not compulsory, but also if it's compulsory, just vote so you don't get the fine. <laughs> I was going to wonder, like, so Sebastian mentioned, not in the blog, but elsewhere, of like the importance of voting. Yeah. I don't want to make this into a political podcast, mm-hmm. but I wonder what his thoughts would be on um, the vice president Harris. Everyone's like very happy that it's like a black woman, mm-hmm. but also she was like a criminal prosecutor for decades, and so like a lot of people see her as the bad on the bad side, mm-hmm. like she's part of the problem. So Sebastian actually was kind enough to lend us his thoughts on Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. He says, it's the lesser of two evils. It's not Trump. So we have hope and opportunity to make change. Biden and Harris were not my first choices, nor my second or third. Fingers crossed this will be a time to rebuild and make better choices that don't destroy our society, like that other guy who just wanted to watch the world burn. So there you go. There is Sebastian's views on um, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. 
Yeah. Like, she spent decades just putting black people in prison. Yeah. I think, like, a lot of politics is very corrupt, so you're never going to get, like, a 100% win. <laughs> you're never going to get a pure angel that's, like, helping to run the country. I just think that's not a thing that happens. How come New Zealand gets that? Uh, New Zealand is so lucky. Jacinda, oh, my God, we all wish you well. Yeah. <laughs> Let's all move to New Zealand. No, but that's, like, I've heard... So people during quarantine were saying, like, um, don't say you want to move to New Zealand. You should use New Zealand as an inspiration. Bring and, New Zealand to your country. Yeah, bring New Zealand to you. Try and get... Um, like everything that's going on in New Zealand, try and push and pressure your government to have the same regulations, restrictions, all that kind of stuff. So I think like we should all aspire to be like New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're very lucky in Australia in terms of COVID. Like although our government, uh, our prime minister is not very useful, our state government thankfully is like very on the ball. Um, but it's interesting because i think like the way our state government is reacting in australia is very different to the different states in a, in america i don't know how much each individual state has control i've seen in um in la there's been a lot of strict lockdowns and stuff but it's hasn't wiped like uh so after our 200 days of lockdown last year we basically didn't have any cases until the borders open again at like christmas time we had a few then they left now we're in another five-day extreme lockdown now because there's been um, one of the hotel quarantine workers basically got infected by one of the really new intense strains from the UK. So we're just like, every time a strain happens... Well, oh, like we have... We, we went from zero to five cases, and, and then, now the entire state cannot leave their house. Yeah, and we can't go beyond... Is a level that they're, they're doing it. We can't go beyond five kilometers, and, like, this is hard lockdown because there's five cases. So, like, we're close to New Zealand, but I think we're just a way bigger country than New Zealand, so it's hard to control to the level that they have controlled it. I guess. Yeah. Anyway, that's not really... I don't know why you're talking about coronavirus <laughs> restrictions. Um, so another thing people can do is, again, check your behaviour. And I think this is really challenging when, you, when you've been brought up in a way that there might be a lot of microaggressions just like naturally in your life because of like the place you grew up, the country or like just the culture where you are there might just be some ingrained microaggressions or things that like have implications for certain cultures that um you never thought of just like shaming people who are against vaccinations like i said at the start there's some people have a lot of serious cultural trauma when it comes to vaccinations so to go on a big spiel about how they're the worst and they're ruining it for everyone else is not being empathetic to the trauma that they have experienced so i just think it's important when they, when people say to educate yourselves it's not just like sitting there and, and watching some glorified movie on netflix and being like mm, i get it it's <laughs> it's just something that it's like every facet of life is constantly asking like how are other people impacted besides myself what does this mean for them and i think when i have these discussions with people about the indigenous bird names it becomes clear that those discussions are really challenging for some people to have where they're so close-minded and fixated on their norm that they don't want to do anything different to what they're used to. And it's hard to, like, seeing how other people are struggling to change behaviour, it makes me think that, like, oh, probably all of us have behavioural traits that would be really, really challenging for us to even sit with ourselves that we have to change. I mean, I used to... Uh... 
call people gay a lot when I was in primary school. Oh yeah, that was. And the now trend. I think I've changed that behavior. I'm proud of you. Too. Thank you. I've grown as a person. Yeah, so that's a good example of like when there's a really a horrific cultural trend that's just like accepted as normal. Like at when we were in school, that was like everyone was if something was not good, it was gay. Like that was. <laughs> it still makes me laugh. Why? <laughs> it's funny. That was the language. And it was really horrifying. But as kids, because it's kids saying it, we don't understand the ramifications of that. And especially if you're not gay yourself, you're not feeling any personal emotional ramifications from that. So it's it's interesting as well when there's these really horrible cultural trends um, that are targeted around children because they could get ingrained as they grow up and they just don't know that they're bad. They yeah. have to have spend a lot of time unlearning that behavior. It, it's a good example of like... I don't, a microaggression a lot of people like just hear that phrase and like oh what stupidity but like you know it is a real thing mm-hmm. one person saying it it's not too big a deal but like a whole community and culture saying it and gay people the butt end of the joke all the time mm-hmm. that's now it's a bit now it's a problem yeah it's more than some of its parts and also like in australia it's important to note that our racism is majority of it is casual racism and it's like you palm it off as a joke and you had a good example about like what happened at the football. Yeah, I don't don't remember his name. I don't follow the the Australian Tell football. Tell us not a much. sportsman. I'm not a sportsman. <laughs> <laughs> There's people who are passionate about football who are also not personally sportsmen. Yeah, Todd's not someone that cares one iota about sports. Um, but like it, it's a good example of like the state of racism in Australia where a Aboriginal uh, footballer was on the field, big, you know, national game, and a lady in the crowd shouts like, oh, you suck, you bloody, you monkey. And he just, like, had the ball and he stopped the game and was like, what did you say? Like, he made a big deal about it. I'm not sure exactly what he said, but he he made a fuss about it. <laughs> Understandably, because, you know, this lady called him a monkey. But, the like, the general consensus from australia is oh it's just a joke he took the joke badly he sh- you know because mm-hmm. the girl who shouted it was like a teenager who was in the middle of a national game uh and so he became the villain even though he was just literally the target of like racial abuse yeah he was the victim and like the bad guy that's which just sort of shows like the current yeah frame of mind it's, i guess it's similar to like in america uh, African Americans started kneeling during the the song they sing. That means what is it called? The national anthem. The national anthem. <laughs> <laughs> that song that they they sing. <laughs> yeah, they started kneeling it to like you know pay tribute and respects mm-hmm. to everything Black Lives Matter. I mm-hmm. guess I don't. Know. It's similar to that and how like they get you know villainized, mm-hmm. even though they're pointing out the villains yeah it's a bit weird yeah like that's the kind of bad part is like just say when you're hanging out with someone and they say something offensive and you like oh um dude that was really hurtful and they're like no it's just pulling your tip mate like i was just joking <laughs> like that's kind of how australia just heard, deals like with peak australian Jesse. yeah if you call someone out they feel uncomfortable and they blame it on being a joke that's like 100 percent the australian way like oh you're taking it too seriously like i don't know if you've ever watched flight of the concords where there's the beef between the new zealanders and the australians but the australians would really hurt 
the New Zealanders' feelings and then be like, oh, just pulling your tits, just a joke, blah, blah. Like, calm down, Mario. Like, take a chill pill. <laughs> and it's like, that's basically how Australia is, is we, all of our, not all of our racism, really horrible stuff still happens, as I said before, but a lot of it that you see day to day is just horrific joke like palming things off as a joke and that's how people deal with it and like experience it which is is firstly nullifying the feelings of the victim and then like just being like oh i can hurt you in any way that i want because yeah it's a joke you jo- make fun of, an, of a minority and then if that minority gets upset about it you can just be like oh stop being a wimp yeah it's like you'll get out of jail free card oh it's a joke i can get away with anything if it's a joke yeah. But like we should not be joking about hurtful things. <laughs> like <laughs> point blank. If you think that something is a sensitive area to someone or like you think it might be culturally insensitive, don't joke about it. Well, <laughs> it's a technique in humor to just be shocking. Yeah. And like humor is just surprise. And that Australians take advantage of that. Yeah. Literally, we take advantage of that to the extreme. We're like, oh, it's just dark humour. Oh, it's just shock value. I'm just being edgy. Yeah. Um, that's not acceptable anymore. Or oh, it never was, but it's not now. I'm putting my foot down. <laughs> You've heard it here. Jesse's declared it. It's not funny if it's racist. <laughs> Why you laugh? <laughs> Sometimes funny. It's not funny. Stereotypes are funny. Well, it's interesting because so I've been looking a lot about the body positivity movement, which came from black women. Mm. And it's interesting how they talk about like every time black women see themselves represented in the media, they're seen as a caricature of like one or four characteristics. So they're either like Big Mama by Eddie Murphy, like the really fat, funny mother that's like just outrageous. Yeah. And then you just have like these other x amount of stereotypes and it's like how horrifying to see as you grow up all the represent all the representation of people that look like you in the media are one of four stereotypes that like you're a person you're multifaceted you have all these things going for you and there's none of individuality represented for your uh, color or body type in the media and it's like stereotypes are funny in like shitty movies they do the job whatever but repeated stereotyping is so toxic and painful to people who that's the only representation they get is like negative negative representation like even if it's like everyone loves big mama is she still like it's it's not really someone you want to aspire to be you know (laughs) (laughs) it might it doesn't have to be i i get that a lot of people think it's like very it's a very silly thing and very tokenistic to have like, oh, you know, we'll make this character, you know, Asian just because why not? And now it's fine. But like, it is important for like, you know, little Asian kids watching TV. Mm-hmm. You do, like, it's a big part of what you experience in life is watching TV and movies and reading books. And yeah. if you never see like yourself in these stories, it really makes you feel like an outsider to all of that society. Yeah. So I think that's why representation is so important because you're not the problem. It is society that's the problem. Like James and Sebastian both say this is like, it's not, it's not like 
people, individual people that need to like tweak one thing. It's like everybody as a society that needs to move towards more inclusive language, behavior, representation in the media. Like it all just needs to be better. Okay. Yeah. Then we'll fix it. <laughs> then it will be fixed. Um, but yeah, I, I hope that we, that we didn't butcher this too much, especially coming from the fact that like, again, we're not in America we're running a global community and we're very white people of privilege. Um, but I just wanted to just acknowledge all the people who have to face that fear every time they want to go into public lands or they feel uncomfortable in walking the streets in their own neighborhood. I just want to tip my hat to you and say, I, I, I just want to give you all a hug. <laughs> I, I don't understand what that's Hugs like. Hugs are the real solution. Yeah. <laughs> Not anymore with COVID. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> but I don't understand what that's like, and I'll never understand what that's like. But if I can do it's as much... It's good to know, still. Yeah, if I can do as much as I can to uh, make people aware that this is happening and that we can just be more empathetic, more inclusive, listen to people read these stories that are online there's also a story by sean um if you want another perspective as well there's lonely conservationist has so many stories that are written by individuals and we have this amazing opportunity to learn from them to understand what's going on in their lives and i think the more empathetic we can be the better conservationists we can be So again, a huge thank you to both Sebastian and James for being kind enough to share their stories with us and let us empathise from across the world. Even though it's not their responsibility to educate us, we are so privileged for the honour to be able to learn from their stories so we can be more aware of what's happening in different parts of the world with different people. Um, if you want to hear more about what's happening with people around the world, there are plenty more blogs where they came from on the Lonely Conservationist website at lonelyconservationist.com. You can join the community at Lonely Conservationist on Instagram or Lonely Conserve on Twitter. Why not support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash lonelyconservationist. Or if you haven't read the book yet, I totally recommend you read the book wherever you get your online books. But until then, we'll see you next week. Bye.